When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everyone back indoors. Hello and welcome to episode 37 of this season's Real Football Cast. As always, I'm your host Dan Tracy and this week we're going to have to do something different because the hot topic in football is that there's no football because of the coronavirus. This means we'll be discussing all the potential ramifications for a season that may or may not come to a conclusion and it also means it's time for more ifs, buts and maybes. I don't know what will happen, nor does Carl, nor does Drew, but we're going to try our very best to make sense of it all. More importantly though, we've once again got a full house and that means leading the line this week and wearing the captain's armband is Carl. So Carl, how have you been? since we last spoke. Yeah, not too bad, thanks, Dan. I've, I've disinfected the phone. Um, you know, I'm going to get a new phone chucked in in a minute that's been disinfected um, and possibly only planning on doing about 12 hours today, you know, half the time. Um, so, yeah, a bit like the Premier League at the moment, mate. Yep, not a lot to report, but we're all here, thankfully, and that also means that Drew's here. So, Drew, how have you been in the past week? I'm doing well. Like Carl, I am uh, disinfecting everything I touch, including myself. So, trying to stay safe on this side of the pond, that's for sure. Fantastic. Right, before we talk all things Premier League and a lot more, let's um, do the social media bits first. I will be talking to the Abyss once more. So first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can. That's on Twitter, at Stan Tracy, 1983. And also the podcast has its own account, which is at Real Football Pod. If you want to become a shareholder, all you need to do is follow and join our very elite members club. You can find me via iTunes by searching for Real Football Cast. If you use that platform... Don't forget to subscribe and also leave a review so it helps us move up the league table. And if you're not a fan of all things Apple, you can find me on SoundCloud and also this week Audio Boom because I forgot I pay Audio Boom hosting every month for about two years and I never tell people you can follow me there. So forget Acast because it's free. Go to Audio Boom and get me, <laughs> get me some money back. Well, the easiest way to find all the links is by going to realfootballcast.com. And also, a new one this week, be sure to check out our content partners at lastwordonfootball.com. Here you can check out some articles that Drew does, some work by me, Loads of other writers as well. Check that out. That's lastwordonfootball.com. Right, it's time to go live. Where should we go first? Let's, well, actually, no. Let's not talk about Project Restart just yet because there's a lot to talk about and I think we've sort of glossed over quite a lot, but there's still more. So let's take a different route. Let's go to wherever Mauricio Pochettino lives. I don't know where he lives exactly, but after his lockdown-based interview last week and the comments about one day returning to Tottenham. Now... We could go into massive detail on this, but we could use the whole show. So let's have a debate, but I don't think it's going to sort of drag it out too long because I think it's sort of the kind of debate that's been done in the months past. However, I want to get your takes on his comments. So what I'm going to do first, I'm going to set my stall because I don't usually sort of set my stall. But what I'm going to do, I'm going to sort of offer mine first and then you two are welcome to sort of give your two pen as well. So with his comments about, you know, hopefully one day wanting to finish the project, I thought personally that it's all nice to hear it's quite endearing and you think okay there's no real bitterness about being sacked you know the manner that he sort of left the club and all that you think okay well that's nice but there's always a, a notion or a danger that football clubs should never really look back it's always quite dangerous and who's to say that where he'll be and where we'll be in sort of five to ten years like you need the the stars to align once again for things like that to happen so for me i think it's a very it's a nice sound bite but i think tottenham fans are perhaps investing a bit too much and i don't think they should hang their hat on it either so Carl that's my take you first what's your take on it yeah I, I am a bit like you in that sense Dan I mean one of the things you know that, that struck my mind first of all with the whole would like to come back and finish the project was I, I'm not so sure why he was so keen to start putting out there just before the Champions League final that if we won it he'd pen possibly you know might leave the club because you know that that could be his time done because for me that wouldn't have been the project finished at that point um, so it, it was a bit like, oh, you, you know, you're already making sound bites that you're going to leave if we was to win this game. Um, so obviously to come back now a little bit later and start saying, you know, oh, I want to come back to the club. I love it. I want to finish my project. Well, that that probably was the sound bites that should have been getting put out just before that Champions League final. Um, but who knows? You know, he has been one of our better managers, especially in the Premier League era. 
Um, I think we reached the right point when he did go um, because I think, you know, it was clear something wasn't right there. Now, whether that was the case that he didn't get the rebuild he wanted um, and that kind of upset him a little bit or, you know, annoyed him, uh, whether it was players that kind of turned on him in the end or he'd lost certain players. But who knows? Maybe, you know, he might need to go away somewhere else and just kind of, you know, maybe go somewhere else, see if he can win some things first. And, you know, you never know. Maybe five or so years down the line, we our paths may cross again. You know, we may be looking for a manager and he may be there. And, and both of us may have learned something. You know, we may be under new owners. He may have won some stuff and now has kind of, you know, progressed his career and suddenly now is the right time to come back so I'd never say never you know I wouldn't be disappointed if in a few years time he became manager again because you know we do hold him in high esteem um but I think you know now is the time as Spurs fans that we, we need to kind of let this potch potch thing go um and, and look to move on and look to give Jose the same backing um, and put ourselves fully behind him. So, as you say, nice soundbite. I would never say no, you know, in a couple of years if the timing's right. But I think right now we just kind of need to let this one die a death. You know, he was great, but, you know, everything comes to an end. Uh, and that's where I think we sit with Tottenham and Potts right now. Yeah, I think you make a great point in that you can never say never. You know, nothing's absolute. And I think a lot can change. You know, we could have this argument for, say, 20 years. You know, like, for example, like, Heinkes goes back to Bayern as a sort of grandfather role and then wins some trophies. So you never quite know. But as in this sort of intermediate, short-term, medium-term sort of thing, you sort of wonder that if a fan's sort of thinking, or oh, hopefully we'll be back in 18 months, I don't think that'll really happen. I think too much water's still under the bridge. However, Drew, you might have a counterpoint to that. What's your take on all things pop and a potential return? I don't have a problem with managers going back to a club for a second time, but with this case in particular with Pochettino and Spurs, if he goes back anytime soon, what's the point? All the problems he had at Spurs with, you know, especially with, with management like like Daniel Levy, all that's going to be the same, especially now with money after, you know, all the coronavirus stuff, Spurs and, and everyone won't have a lot of money. So for me, it seems as if Pochettino would be going back into the exact same situation with nothing changed. So for me, it doesn't make any sense. I think down the road in several years and, and kind of like you guys said already, if there's new owners or, you know, a, a new person above him, then I could see it happening. But to go back right now with a lot of the same players, with Daniel Levy still there, without a lot of money, there's really no point. There's no changes that have been made. And so the way I see it is Pochettino's walking back into the same situation. He, you know, he he's getting back into bed with it with an ex-girlfriend that he knows he's gonna have another bad go of it with. So for me, there's no reason for him to go back to Spurs in the immediate future, especially with everything just being the exact same circumstances as it was a few months ago when he got sacked. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point as well. But also, and this is a lot of theory and conjecture that goes into this, but who's to say Tottenham might finally break the glass ceiling in five years' time? And they think, actually, well, maybe Pochino is a bit below us now. And now we're sort of looking on the up and up and we sort of don't want to get our fingers burnt twice over. Or Pochettino might finally hit the promised land himself and win trophies and be a real top-tier manager and then think to himself, well, actually, as much as I love Tottenham, perhaps they're not in the sort of hierarchy that I need to be either. So there are lots of ifs and buts, and it is sort of a good talking point, but I don't think we'll ever know an answer until his career finally finishes and we can actually see if he did return or not. But if we quickly stay on the topic of Poch, because reports today suggest that Newcastle will have to decide whether to pay the compensation clause of £12.5 to obtain him before May 31st. Now, this sounds a lot, Carl, but to be honest, for the Saudi Investment Fund, that's kind of the loose change that you and I would find down the sofa. Yeah, I think obviously, you know, if they if this takeover happens at Newcastle, then those guys will want to bring in a name. And obviously, you can understand the fact that Poch may fit them because, you know, he, you know, he's a kind of guy who, as we say, if he knows he's going to get some money, then that's going to make him happy. He also is happy, though, with bringing through some youth players and that. So I don't think he'll be the sort of manager that will go in there and suddenly be demanding that 11 players are brought all for 50, 60, 70 million pounds in one hit. You know, I think Newcastle can slowly build up their profile under him where, yes, they'll spend some money at first to bring in some real good key marquee signings, but then they'll want to mix that with some you know homegrown talent some of the players that are still there and Pochi's record at Spurs obviously proves that 
he can be a good manager. And, you know, just given a couple of marquee signings, which if he'd been given at Spurs, could have pushed us over the edge, then he may feel, you know, listen, I could do a job there and this could be a really attractive job. Um, and for Newcastle, you know, he'd be a great manager for them to get in for the profile because, you know, he is still highly rated. So players want to work with him. Good profile. Um, as you say, the money for them will be nothing, will it? You know, something like 12 million is like them finding a pound down the back of the sofa for me and you, isn't it? So, yeah, no, yeah you can understand it from all parties. So, yeah, I don't see them having an issue. And, and to me, you know, I could see where the attraction may be for this role and the attraction for them is with Poch. So it could possibly be a good fit all round. And that's not forget, like I say, that is a club that is, is a real high, you know, it's a sleeping giant that... Imagine how Potch would be, you know, if you think he's loved right now by Spurs fans, imagine how he'd be viewed if he went to Newcastle and suddenly turned them into Champions League um, contenders and title contenders. You know, you've only got to look at the way they feel about someone like Kevin Keegan um, and Potch could possibly go above that and beyond. So, you know, it is an attractive offer, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, when they back someone, they really back someone, don't they? Kevin Keegan being the perfect example, the Messiah, wasn't he? Couldn't do anything wrong. I think once he sold Andy Cole, the writing was on the wall. But in that time, changing from Premier League, and they nearly got to the promised land, then he was he was God in Newcastle. And there's no reason why Pochettino couldn't assume that same status if that comes together. However, Drew, the clause that Daniel Levy put in when Poch was sacked, that was obviously inserted that six-month time frame with the end of season being in mind. So obviously, it goes November to May. So as long as no one's picking Poch in the rest of what we would consider the traditional season, it's all fine. However, coronavirus has changed all the parameters, hasn't it? So with that in mind, do you think Newcastle will afford Steve Bruce the rest of the season if, when that happens, or will they pull the trigger before May 31st, get Bruce out, get Poch in? I think they're going to let Steve Bruce finish the season because they're already looking at free transfers to bring in. There is financial fair play and all these things. So while I agree with Carl, they have the money and it's not an issue. I just don't really think that they're going to spend 12 and a half million pounds. I believe it is for, for, you know, for no reason, essentially, they're not really in fears of relegation. Now, obviously when, when football comes back, there's absolutely no way to judge how good or bad any club is, is going to be on the pitch. Right. So we have no idea, but at this point, they're not battling relegation. So I don't think you really have to chuck Steve Bruce out the door right away and get Pochettino. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to wait until the end of the season. Um, and then Pochettino will have, you know, whatever type of transfer window we have, he'll have money um, and he'll kind of get a fresh start. I don't think the owners are going to are going to bring him in right now. I just don't see the rush to do it. And especially with all of this happening right now with the coronavirus, what if you bring Pochettino in right now and then he just sits on the sidelines for 18 months if, if there's no football? You know, God forbid, I, I don't want that to happen. I don't think it will. But, you know, that is something to consider. So I think there's really no rush at this point. And for the prospective new owners, right, they, like still now they haven't officially bought the team yet. Not everything's been done. But to me, it's just no reason to rush it at this point. Plus, my personal opinion – I agree with everything Carl said before about Pochettino and going to Newcastle and players love him and he would be loved by fans up there. I just don't see the point in it. For Pochettino, he needs to win trophies. That's the only thing missing from his CV right now. And you can roll the dice at Newcastle, but to me, he should go to a club that's guaranteed trophies, maybe even in another country. So I don't think the owners should rush this. I don't think they will. And even for Pochettino, I don't think he needs to rush into a decision and take the Newcastle job either. Yeah, I guess in a sense, it's just another project, isn't it? It's a much more financially sturdy project, but that in, a, in itself is still working a team up from the mid-ranks to getting through to the, the top four and so on and so on. And you wonder that, as we said before, could Newcastle hit 0-100? to 100? Probably not. It's got to be a staggered process. And will Poch get itchy feet and by his timing, because it was all about timing when it comes to manager appointments. You're all sort of seeing where the deck chairs are being aligned and what opportunities are coming open. And it might be that someone like Bayern Munich opens up, because I know they've got a caretaker boss that will finish the end of the season whenever that happens. So then that, like you say, Drew, could be a more viable opportunity. So it's a case of, do you sort of pull the trigger too early? I mean, Newcastle, if they were desperate to get popped with the new Sally owners, they could wait till June the 1st, a day later, get Poch in for free, technically, obviously his wages as well, 
and then the season would still be two weeks away, three weeks away from starting technically. So there's no real clamour to spend twelve and a half million, although it's not really that much to them. However, we talk about finishing the season and Project Restart has almost become Project Fast. And the more this carries on, Carl, over the next three weeks, it just seems to me, I don't know about you, but it just smacks of more and more desperation. So first, we've got the idea of not just closed doors, but playing the matches between eight and ten neutral venues. How does that sound for you? Yeah, I, I can't be doing it. You know, I can't be doing with that for me. You know, if we're going to finish, finish the season, then, you know, I can't have that certain teams may have played someone at their home ground and not get to play them at their home ground. I also don't actually see the whole point of this neutral venues. You know, as long as all the grounds in the Premier League if you like, have been cleaned properly um, and, and are passed medically to be safe to be playing, then I really don't understand the whole point of the needing to go to neutral grounds because, you know, what is the difference between Brighton's ground, say if that was going to be chosen, compared to White Hart Lane now, you know, or, or any other ground in any other country? You know, surely the same fears are there for that ground. Um, you're not going to have spectators in there. So surely anyone who's in there will, if you like, you know, supposedly the, the view is they'll be tested to make sure they're, they're you know, safe to be there. Um, so I just don't understand this whole clamour for neutral grounds and everything. And I think once you do that, for me then... I think you just put a massive asterisk on the on the league and say, well, <laughs> this wasn't a real campaign. And I think that's the point where you'll see all these clubs massively kick off and all these lawsuits coming in because it'll just be deemed as unfair and they weren't playing in a fair competition. Yeah, I think litigation could be rife over the next few months. I think, in a sense, that everyone's looking for the least worst option. And with all the options available, you take behind closed doors because it's either that or no football. I think you have to begrudgingly settle for that but this idea you're just thinking well it's just death by a thousand cuts and you're thinking you know the spectacle as we know football is going to be diminished that's understandable but you just think why like are you, are you going to watch a game at st george's park between i don't know southampton and crystal palace it's going to be pretty grim watching isn't it and with that in mind what you, a cracker of a game that well, would be exactly you just think oh, <laughs> like, you know, we're, all, we're all desperate for football to come back but it's football by name not how you know it and you just think is it really worth all the hassle and then as I say, death by a thousand cuts. Here's another one, Drew. PFA's Gordon Taylor today comes out with this belter. He suggested that games could be shortened to 35 minutes a half, give or take. So that just adds to the ludicrous ideas that we've gone through the last few days. Surely we're talking about player welfare and integrity. That can't be fair either. If you've played 27, 28 games, or 28, 29, with 45 minutes standard halves, and then you're chopping the length of the game, changing to a neutral venue, I mean, what is the point? Yeah, I'm with you. My thing is, like, I, I appreciate everyone, and not just in England, right, in, in any of these countries that are trying to bring their respective leagues and cups back. Because I think, myself included, right, but I, I think a lot of people would agree with me, and you guys probably as well, that people want football back. People want sports back in general. And so I appreciate them trying to find solutions. I just think it's ironic that when all of this stuff started, you know, two months ago, Everything was, we have to finish the season, the integrity of the league and all these things. And yet now they're doing the exact opposite of neutral venues and, and um, no, no fans in the stadiums and, and all these different things, less than 45 minutes. I don't have a problem with trying to find solutions for this time because we are you know in, in, in extraordinary circumstances. So I like that decision makers are trying to find solutions I just think it flies in the face of what the argument was just two months ago. I also don't have a problem with people changing their argument. I just think it's hilarious that in the integrity part of it is just now not even really spoken of unless it's a team that's trying to say, no, we shouldn't do this. And they disagree with every every possible idea out there. So to me, it's becoming a bit – kind of like the way you framed it. It's becoming a bit of a farce in that – there's no more integrity to this in terms of we're finishing the league, but I would like to see football come back. So for me, I'm kind of okay with some of these, you know, conditions because that will mean bringing bringing sports back. That will mean hopefully people will will feel better as as well. So I'm not against all of these ideas. Again, I just think it, it's kind of funny to me how people are saying the exact opposite of what they said two months ago. 
which to me is kind of the biggest problem here. If integrity was so important two months ago, why is integrity of the league not important now? Because that to me, or, or not to me, but to everyone else, that was always what the argument was. And now that it's gone is a bit ironic to me. So again, I'm okay with some of these concessions because I want to see football come back. I want to see the Premier League back in action. I don't think this is going to be the slippery slope of, you know, what are we going to have next year? I don't see that. So I know a lot of people probably aren't going to share my sentiment, but I would be willing to put up with some of these to bring the Premier League back. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone could be stuck in the mud and say football has to return to its rightful familiar guys, otherwise I'm not interested. I think, you know, Carl, we could all probably get behind closed doors. It's not great, but you've watched closed doors games in the Champions League and it's not, you know, the best spectacle, but it is watchable. And if that was on the table, 45 minutes a half, you'd probably go for it, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think, you know, I think we all understand, don't we, that supporters are not going to be in the grounds for a while because, as you say, Dan, football grounds are not built for that sort of, you know, social distancing, you know. that Grounds are built to have everyone together and people, you know, close and close-knit and tight and everything like that. And, you know, bit, you know you've got the concourses, the toilets. You know, what are we going to do? You know, you're going to have every, you know, supporters on every third row. You know, then the game is going to be, you know, it's going to be just as weird if you only had, you know, a quarter of the stadium full because it's still going to be empty and, you know, it, it's not going to feel the same. So we can all accept football will be played behind closed doors. But that has to be, for me, the limit of what it's done, you know. When you got talked about, you know, no contact at corners and yeah. stuff like that, I mean, how is that going to work? You know, oh, just put your big centre half on the penalty spot, and as long as you've got a player who can hit the penalty spot, you've almost got a free shot at goal because a defender can't mark him. Um, you know, they can't get close to one another. Well, that's not a game of football, is it? And that's certainly not a game of football that you want to see titles or relegation decided by. Um, so I'm all for behind closed doors. We know that's going to happen. But for me, that really has to be the limit of the changes if you really want to get this up and running and complete seasons. Once you start this whole 35 minutes, no contact at corners, you know, any of these sorts of you know ideas that have been floated. And I'm sure you're going to mention the other one soon of this no relegation yep. um, at all. I mean, it's laughable, isn't it? At that point, we may as well all get on football manager. And basically just see the season out on Football Manager, you know, get, get you know, Jose to pick his Tottenham team and tactics on that and just let the you know, computer simulation play it out because they are becoming laughable and, and you just can't see the way that this can work to make it serious that you can crown people champions and teams are relegated on. Yeah, we'll come to relegation in a moment, but Carl, I'll just run this one past you. I don't think this idea can get off the ground due to locked borders, but Sky are obviously doing their best to keep the wheels in motion, keep the debate going. Gary Neville moved to the idea of finishing the season in Australia. So would you, <laughs> would you, Carl, start to watch a Burnley game at 3am in the morning? Uh, I, I think I'll pass on that one, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one you mean you don't want to see Burnley and Southampton play each other yeah, nil-nil? I mean, there's games I'd set my alarm for, but you know Burnley Crystal Palace, which is just going to be a, you know, a walk in the you know a walk a walking training ground match for both of those teams. I don't think I'll be getting up for that one, Dan. I, I certainly wouldn't. That's best box office though that one, isn't it? You know we're live box office Burnley Palace at three a.m. No, thank you. I think Gary can keep that idea. Yeah, I think uh, Gary will have to put that one in the bin. But Drew, obviously, Carl's talked about no contact. There's also suggestions of face masks having to be worn, spitting being banned. And if you've ever watched any game of football, you know, spitting is highly prevalent. So you're sort of thinking oh, yeah. all, all these medical sort of stipulations as well. Like, how is it going to be worth it? Can it go on? Is it football as we know it? Or do we just have to sort of play the card that's dealt and learn to live with it? Yeah, I mean, I'm with Carl. So some of these suggestions, right? Like, like I said, I'm, I'm willing to accept some concessions. But these ones where you can't touch another player, I mean, essentially, there's no fouls. I mean, I'm, I'm sure Pep would be very pissed about not having tactical fouling as part of the game. But to me, that is not damaging the integrity of, of the league or anything. It's just becoming a different sport. Yeah. And I understand the reasons of, you know, the health concerns, and, and I totally get it. But if it's if it's that dangerous which I'm, personally I don't think it is. I think a lot of this is overblown. But if the sentiment is it's so dangerous that people can't be touching, well, then how are you going to be playing a game? I mean, 
even just standing next to each other pre-match uh, with the teams lined up and, and, and the officials in between, isn't that too close? I mean, how, that's not social distancing. I mean, at some point, you either have to not play because it's way too dangerous, which is what I what I gather a lot of people think or, or are saying, or you say, you know what, it's fine. We're going to go and play and we're going to play the game you know, the, the right way, so to speak. And, and so no, no contact during free kicks and corners or, I mean, trying to set up the wall in front of goal. Are you going to tell players that they have to stand six feet apart? I mean, well, then you can just shoot right through. The, what's the point of even having the wall? You know, no spitting and things like that. I mean, are our players going to try and sweat on each other right now to, you know, to, to get somebody knocked out uh, of, of the match? I mean, this is, this to me, those types of things in game, you're changing the sport fundamentally in my eyes. And to me, then you're not playing. So maybe playing in Australia was a little bit uh, a wild from Gary Neville. I joked when this all started on uh, my podcast that all the different leagues should have come to America because we weren't on lockdown yet a couple months ago. Those types of things I think can be feasible, but these ones about changing the actual in-game play those to me are, are kind of non-starters because then you're not really playing football anymore. It's a completely different sport. It's watered down. And to me, if I'm going to watch the Premier League or, or any team, I want to watch them playing. I don't want to watch them you know, tiptoeing around each other or anything like that. That to me is not a sport. That's not real football. Carl, you mentioned relegation and the lack thereof. So we'll sort of look at that point a bit more now. So the bottom six, obviously, have got a lot to lose if the uh, trapdoor is still active. And they are suggesting, or the rumour is, that they'll push through the neutral venue plan only if the threat of relegation gets removed. Therefore, if you remove the trapdoor, what is the point of all this discussion? Yeah, again, you know, it's an idea where you sit and go, yes, you can fully understand those bottom six and will listen the minute you put neutral venues in, if I'm relegated, I'm going to sue you massively for this. So, obviously, the Premier League, and well, well we don't want that. But, oh, no, no relegation. Well, then, yeah, so you'll play and we can get our money coming in and then you won't face a drop. So, in theory, you won't then sue us, will you? Which is great for everybody. Yeah, brilliant. Lovely. OK, I can understand that. But, again, it's not football, is it? It's not the way we want the thing to be played out, you know. If you're going to come back, it needs to come back in the full sense where we're seeing the season out. And that means one team wins a title, you know, another three go into the Champions League and three, unfortunately, will face the drop at the end of the day, you know, and then two will come up. Once we start no relegation, you know, none of this, none of that, none of that. It, again, it's all just farcical and it shouldn't come back if it's going to come, up, come back in that, guys. I think if you if you ask proper football fans, listen, these are the things that we're putting in. Would you rather, do you want to see us play or would you rather we just go, listen, just scrap it and we wait until the new season comes when we might be, you know, a little bit further down the road. We know where we stand. Yes, we're still going to be behind closed doors, but it's going to be home in a way, 45 minutes and the game as you know it. I think most people would say, let's just wait. You know, yes, it's going to be unfortunate for all those teams who are going to suffer. But the reality is the sensible thing now to do is wait. You start bringing it back with no relegation involved, then uh, again, what is the point? You know, again, I just don't understand the whole point of it. Because those teams now who potentially could be relegated but are safe, well, what sort of games are you going to have again with those teams playing where now they just, you know, it's just on the beach football, isn't it? You're going to have silly scores because those players are not going to take those games seriously. So, again, what, what what's the point? Where, where's where's the realness in the football that's going to be played? It's just silly, Dan. Absolute silly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's always dead rubbers at this end of the season. But if you take away the threat of relegation, you're going to have literally, what, six teams competing for Champions League spots and all these other pointless fixtures, which makes you think, when we've already removed integrity by neutral venues, potentially chopping time off the match... You're just sort of looking down the rabbit hole thinking, well, why are we doing this? And, Drew, if it does happen, and it's a very big if because I think it's quite ludicrous, but if it does, the Premier League are going to have to sort of then think, well, what do we do next season? Do we have a bigger Premier League? Because it would be really unfair to punish the EFL and not have any promotion. And if that's the case, let's say we go to 22 clubs and they scrap the playoffs, surely then the EFL Cup would have to be parked for a season because there's no way you could fit in extra Premier League matches with the strain of the season, which is already probably going to be late, 
and two cup competitions in England. Well, yeah, that that's a big thing for me is, I mean, first of all, I want consistency. So if you're not going to do relegation, then I think you also shouldn't do a champion. And, and you have to be consistent. Either we have all of it or none of it. That's what I would like to see. But I think you bring up a, a good point, and that's something that I've thought about is, well, if you promote two teams from the championship, well, now you have an expanded league or in, in the Premier League. I always thought people complained there's too many fixtures, you know, players don't get enough rest, congestion. Well, now you're adding more and more games because you have more teams. To me, I've, you're, it's kind of like pick your poison at this point. And I'm kind of with Carl here in that you're making all these different concessions and all these different ideas. I don't have a problem with the ideas, but you're just fundamentally changing everything. And I don't want to see the entire footballing landscape upended and changed just for these nine games or 10 games or whatever it happens or whatever it is, because that to me is absurd. I mean, you're going to change next season. You're going to change internationals. You're going to change transfer windows. You're going to change contracts. You're going to change league structures. You're changing everything for these nine games. To me, there's nothing special about this season. This is just another season in, you know, the 120 years of, of, of English football this is just another season in, in the 25-plus or 28 years, whatever it's been, of the Premier League. There's nothing in particular that we must finish this season in particular. And so, you know, as I said, I, I can appreciate the ideas and trying to figure it out. And like Carl mentioned, negotiating, well, we'll play at neutral venues if you don't relegate us. I appreciate people trying to find solutions. But it's just becoming it, – to me, it's getting so far away from – what makes not just the Premier League, but but football unique and what makes me even, you know, as a Yank on the other side of the pond, attracted to the Premier League and, and football in Europe. You're taking away so many of these things and changing it fundamentally that it kind of is taking some of the shine off of it, some of the fun off of it. And like Carl mentioned, you have all these teams where, sure, there are plenty of teams mid-table that are playing kind of pointless games toward the end of the season anyway. But now, I mean, you're looking at 85% of the league playing pointless games. And if you're not going to have, if, if you can't touch other players, there's no contact. If you can't get relegated, you know, there's all the, you're not playing 45 minute halves. It's just so far away from everything that I think to myself, what's the point? This is not even the Premier League. This isn't football anymore. And so I'm getting almost fed up with all these different concessions because it, it really is taking away from the game in my perspective of course Carl last week we sort of touched on the point that football felt like it was just warming up across the continent and then hours later literally as soon as I hit upload League uh, was cancelled so cheers to the French government for their timing on that one but um, is that banning of the sport <laughs> over there is that why the Premier League plans are sort of becoming all the more radical because last week the Premier League was in a position of somewhat strength and now it seems to be more in weakness yeah, I think that you know the minute each the minute each country potentially void or cancel their season, then I think you know supporters start going. Well, hold on, if they've done that, maybe that's what we should be doing. And as you say, I, I think you know a big league like the French league doing it, um, obviously just across the water from us, makes everyone here go. Well, if they're going to do it, then we we should be doing this. You know, it's the right thing to do. And as you say, I think now. There is pressure, and I think there is going to be pressure on the Premier League to say, well, listen, unless we can come up with an idea very quickly that gets this you know, football up and running in the very near future, there is just going to be more and more pressure put on us and as each week and you know, each month goes past where people say, just cancel it, just void it, because it's getting silly now. So I think, as you say, that French League did give them a big kick up the bum to possibly kind of start putting these ideas in and just find any way of getting it done. Uh, one idea that I'm, I can't believe no one, you know, they, they, this might have been flouted. Um, and, and, you know, who knows? You know, I know all the top people listen to us in football, Dan, because every right, time yeah. a week that it's out, you know, the next, you know, half hour after finishing, something changes that we've said. What about just one big mass penalty shootout? You know, what about... A let's let's do the old MLS styles. Penalties yeah. where they run up from midfield. <laughs> exactly. Good show. You know, just one big penalty competition. 
you know, you can social distance there, can't you? Because the goalkeeper doesn't have to go anywhere near the player who's going to take the penalty kick. You can keep the <laughs> players separate in the centre circle, two metres apart. And then, you know, you don't even have to go to a ground. We can go to Acne Marshes and set up some goalposts there with a net and just go, right, you've got a ball, nominate your five penalty takers and off you go. You know, if it's a draw, then there's a point. If you win, three points, and, you know, just get that sorted. We could have that done in a day, I think. You know, yeah. you could make that the 24-hour-a-thon penalty shootout competition, and uh, it's all done and dusted. Exactly. And what would make it even better is let's not have keepers in net. Let's have, like, guys like Kyle Walker or, like, John Terry did before, non-keepers have to play in net to stop penalties. <laughs> I think that'd be great. No gloves either. Or a celebrity fan has to take a penalty as well. So, like, <laughs> no, no Gallagher for Man City, just add ball pressure. I like this. It's got oh, legs. See, look. This is box for, for, as for well Villa. Now. We can have the Prince and Gaul. That'd be great. Yeah, honestly, there's there's loads of ways we can do this. Cole, I like this idea. So FIFA, UEFA, if you're listening, which you usually <laughs> are, I'd imagine a press statement in about about four o'clock UK time when this goes live. So keep keep your eyes and out for that one. But you mentioned about we seem to somehow be ahead of the curve, and it just reminded me of something else actually. Players, because we were saying last week that no one asked the players, and then about an hour or two later, all the players started going, well, "Hang on." No one's asked us. So Glenn Murray was one voice, a bit of dissension about I don't really want to play. And then Sergio Aguero. Now, Drew, does that voice add more credence to the fact that players do need to be taken into account? Because that's no disrespect to Glenn Murray. But if you've got a real top player saying, hang on, I'm a bit worried, how much weight does that comment actually have? I think in the court of public opinion, a lot. But I think to the Premier League, absolutely zero. And, And the reason is, I mean, think about this. Any type of business you have... To a certain degree, Premier League players, or, or on any league, I guess, they're just normal employees, right? They happen to be the product as well. But in any business, you don't ask the normal employees to make like what their opinions are on decisions at the top. So I don't think the Premier League is going to ask players. Besides, I mean, yeah, like Aguero has, you know, he he's a big name that that talked about it. But I mean, I read an article in the Athletic where they quoted an anonymous agent, you know a source that didn't reveal his name who said 80% of players want to play. So, you know, who, who do we believe at this point? I think is one thing to consider, but beyond that, I think there's a lot of players who I I think it's very easy for Sergio Aguero. And I don't mean to single him out or, or Glenn Murray. um, I think it's easy for them to say, as they're still getting paid thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds a week, even if it's not their full wages, it's real easy for them to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm scared. I don't need to play. But for people who have lost their jobs, right, I, I, me included here on, on this side of the, of the Atlantic, people who have lost their jobs, I think to them, they may say, you know what? I'm willing to risk going back to work. I need to feed my family. I don't have any money coming in. I got bills. And so I think there's plenty of people that do want to go back to work. And I think for footballers, it's the same. I think a lot of the, like, I mean, guys at Norwich, how much money are they really making? You know, I would assume that most players are living a very good lifestyle. And I don't know how long they can keep that up without getting their full wages, especially if they're not in the Premier League, if they're in the championship or even lower. So while some bigger name players may say that they're concerned, I think there's a lot of players who aren't the big names who actually probably want to go back and play partially because they, they need the money but also because they're probably tired of sitting on their ass at home. And so while I, I think there are voices like Aguero or Glenn Murray who have been illuminated for what they've said and not wanting to go back, but I think there's plenty of voices out there who do want to get back on the pitch and start playing again. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if you actually took a survey and it was actually binding. But again, like you say, what real weight does that have in terms of the deal breakers and all that? So probably not a lot. But Carl, if we go back to the French League toppling, that's another domino which has fallen across Europe. So that's now Belgium, Netherlands, France, probably Scotland in terms of the top level. I know the lower three have already wrapped up. So are the Premier League now looking across to Germany, pinning all their hopes and just thinking if they can get going, that really gives us a bit of a shot in the arm? Because that's been delayed by a week. And all of a sudden, you know, the sort of machinations of that and there's more sort of fear and worry. Can the Bundesliga show us that things can go ahead? Yeah, I think if you had one league, especially the German league, because obviously I think 
I don't know what you guys think, but for me, that is probably the closest to the English league that you're going to get out of all the leagues um, in terms of style and stuff like that. Then I think if you get a country like Germany that get their football back up and running, the rest can kind of follow because they can say, well, look, they've done it. This is how they've done it. And we can follow that suit and get and get it going that same way. Then I think that adds a lot of strength to, for them to, to be able to play. I think they're just, you know, I, I can imagine the Premier League have got everything they can possibly get crossed on their bodies to make sure that the German league doesn't come out and go, actually, look, we've tried looking at this. It isn't feasible. We are cancelling and voiding our season as well. Because I think the minute that happens, then I think that is a mass domino effect across Europe. And everyone else just has to go, listen, as much as we wanted to, they were much more advanced than us in trying to get this up and running. And they've said they can't do it. So we just need to, you know, put a flag in this and say it's done. So I think they will have everything they can pinned on Germany getting their season up and running. Because if they do, it gives the green light, in my opinion, to carry on. If they don't, then I think the pressure becomes too much and, and we will end up, the, the pressure will be there to avoid it. And that will be too much pressure and they'll have to cave in in the end. Yeah, I think whatever direction Germany goes in, the rest will follow suit. I think the rest has to follow suit. And if that is the case, whatever, let's say the, the worst does happen and it is no completion of the season due, are all these discussions lip surface? Can the Premier League just say, look, we've done our best, we tried. Is there a genuine intention to get going or are they just trying to sort of test the water and let everyone else sort of fall around them and then just sort of see what's, well, how deep they are thereafter? Well, I do think the Premier League is not wanting to be, you know, the first mover. And I think that's why they haven't canceled like other leagues. And I mean, there's a lot of money at stake as well, of course, but they haven't canceled like other leagues. And they're waiting to see what Germany does because they don't want to be first. And I think that's a real big risk factor that they're that, or it's a big risk that they're factoring in and something they're that they're considering. I think they're really, really watching, as am I, the Bundesliga with a keen eye. And something that I, that I thought was actually really positive was I think it was either Friday or Saturday uh, this past week where three people, not necessarily players, at Cologne were uh, came down with, with the coronavirus. And then now in the Bundesliga, I believe there's 10 people as of uh, when we started recording. But that hasn't stopped training. It, no, nothing has shut down. They're still going full force. And I think that's a very positive sign for the Bundesliga to come back. But then also, of course, the Premier League and, and you know, football and, and sports in general as well. So I think the Premier League is being very, very cautious because of how much money they have at stake. Right. Carl it, it, talked about earlier, you know, the league getting sued for relegation and, and things like that. And this would be another thing. Right. We talked about this before. If players come back in training or a game and they come down with the coronavirus, you know, could the Premier League be sued for, you know, negligence or, or putting players in in um, uh, dangerous situations you know so there's all these things that they have to consider and again with all the money that they make that's a that's a it's a it's a big risk to them so I think that's why they are really scared to be the first mover and that's why they're kind of taking cues off of Germany right now and hopefully not but they may have to take cues from the French League Air Divisier and and Belgium as well in shutting down again I hope that doesn't happen. But definitely the Premier League is kind of following at this point. Drew, I'll stay with you. If this season doesn't conclude, it means we can finally look ahead to 2021, at least knowing that some football is on the horizon. However, there is a real genuine prospect now that the whole of that season might be without fans. Again, not to be unexpected, but not really the news that anyone really wants to hear either. So this really is going to be a real litmus test for the survival of clubs long-term, not just across the Premier League, but all the levels in England, and more importantly, across Europe. Oh, yeah, definitely. This is this is a big trial period for how many of these teams can survive. You know, what is, what is football going to look like if a lot... You know, we saw with, with Bury not too long ago, um, and, and around the world in general. I think a lot of teams have been kind of skating by on razor-thin margins for, for several years now, probably a lot of them losing money, especially teams that got relegated down into the championship, right? I know parachute payments, you know, help with that and everything. But yeah, I mean, I think this 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 is a, a big inflection point, I think, that definitely can, and the longer this draws out, is going to change things. You know, uh, who knows if it's going to be for better or for worse at this point, but it is, a, it is a big litmus test to see 
you know, how can clubs survive? How can you deal with situations like this? Because, you know, I, I hope this doesn't happen, but who knows? In 20 years, 50 years, there could be another pandemic that shuts the whole world down again. Heaven forbid. I hope it doesn't happen. Um, but but I think you bring up a great point. This is this is going to be a very big case study for damn near everything. Not not just the Premier League, not just football, not just sports, but life in general. So I, I think this is this is something that that is going to kind of fundamentally change a lot of things. And of course, Cole, the issue in England is more the AFL. Obviously, Premier League not. Um you know, uh, what's the word? immune from any financial strain or stress. But really, the EFL is the issue which is in play at the moment. So when you consider championship teams who fundamentally mortgage themselves from chasing the Premier League dream, the landscape of the three divisions in the next, say, 12 to 18 months is really going to be a genuine survival of the fittest, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, you know, given the impacts of this and suddenly, you know, no, no, you know, no supporters being allowed in grounds and everything like that, you know, I think we have a real fear that there could be quite a lot of clubs that end up going to the wall, you know, possibly because, you know, lower down the divisions, those clubs really do rely on their match day revenue and what they can drum up from those those sales of ticket sales and, you know, merchandise and beverage and all that kind of stuff. So suddenly you take all that away from those teams where they're not getting that income, but obviously still having to pay staff or possibly, you know, policing and stuff like that, even for behind the closed doors matches, then I really think there'll be a lot of clubs who say we financially cannot deal with that and, and we'll go to the wall. And, you know, you never know in 18 months time, we could see, you know, quite a large chunk of teams that we all know and kind of love and think fondly of have actually gone to the wall because financially they can't cope with the impact that this has caused. So I think there is a real fear that, you know, there is some serious you know things coming down the line in terms of football and clubs and how they can run, given the fact that, you know, we don't think there'll be supporters in the ground. There's a lot of talk that you might not even have supporters in grounds next season, even, you know, next year. So I think this is a real fear for a lot of these clubs. And I think a lot of them will be kind of pinning their hopes that there can be some money dropping down from higher up. But I do fear for a lot of teams, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we spoke about Berry when they went bust. We did that episode, I think, at week five. And we spoke really about can England sustain 92 football league clubs? And the sort of answer was just about but that was without any sort of extenuating circumstances now you could probably envisage worst case scenario losing a whole division's worth of teams you might only have three professional divisions you might have that bottom division being part-time or you might have to go regional in the sort of bottom two tiers like they used to have back in the 50s there might have to be a real shifting of the landscape but you know no one knows how we're going to get out of this mess so it's really hard to sort of then forecast the balance sheet so it's going to be pretty um Pretty tight for a lot of teams, and you just hope that not, you know, even one team going to the walls is going to be too much. But I'd be overconfident if that didn't happen. I think, you know, unfortunately, there are going to be some casualties, and it's a sort of real shame that that's going to be the case. However, Drew, going across the pond, quick move to MLS Corner very finally. What is the latest state of play? Is there a development as far as training goes? The training moratoriums are still in place. Um, one good thing is, and this is kind of you know not not MLS related, but some states here have started opening up uh, kind of moderately with some restaurants and and things like that. So I'm hoping that MLS is going to be able to return very soon, but they do still have a training moratorium. I believe some clubs want to open up their training facilities, kind of like has has done in the Premier League, where players can go in kind of one by one. You know, you can't change there you can't eat and things like that um but mls the, the good thing about ml or not good thing it's the wrong way to say it but the uh, a positive for mls right now is that you know they have the entire year to play out their season uh as, as opposed to having to finish it soon and then start another one so that is definitely something that they have um in their back pocket and i know uh the la galaxy there um i believe he's like the sporting director uh, dennis DeClosa. he was talking about this as well um not too long ago. So clubs want to come back. I think with MLS, one of the one of the things they have that can also help them is that because some states can open and maybe some aren't, they can kind of move teams around. So while you might be playing all, you know, 34 matches on the road, essentially, even though they're dubbed as home games, I think that's something MLS is trying to consider right now because, you know, and, and here's the thing is 
MLS, it's kind of like the championship and lower leagues in that they don't make a lot of money from TV. So while they want to get back and play, I don't think there's as much of a push to play at, you know, at neutral venues and behind closed doors and all these things because it's not really going to benefit them that much. Kind of like Carl talked about just a minute ago with teams having to earn money through concessions and, and match day revenue uh, you know, at, at the stadium. That's something that MLS has to do as well. So they're not really in this big rush to uh, get games on TV behind closed doors. Um, although I do think they are trying to find a lot of solutions, as are all the other sports uh, in the U.S. right now. So hopefully MLS is going to come back as well because I think this year they were actually moving towards a lot of positive and beneficial things, partnerships with uh, Liga MX and kind of expanding that uh, and, and a lot of different things, bringing in Chicharito, who used to play at Manchester United and Real Madrid, who's a Mexico legend. So MLS really had a lot of things going for them right now, and I think they don't want to uh, they don't want to miss out on it, but they also don't want to do anything that's going to you know hurt them financially. They're not going to rush anything right now. Right, so that wraps things up for the week. So Sterling Work Chaps just need to do the admin as per, which is simple enough. Just need to thank you two, really. So Drew, fantastic effort as always. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on, Dan. Carl, great talking to you as well. I appreciate it. Um, hopefully very soon, What, even if it's just the Bundesliga to start, hopefully we'll have some uh, football to talk about coming back very, very soon. Yeah, I mean, I think this is our fourth episode of no real action. We've just been sort of talking. So for every week of these we do... We're getting one step closer, hopefully. So, you know, it's all it's all worth it in the long run. Cole, I can't forget you either. Thank you ever so much for your efforts this afternoon. Yeah, cheers, Dan. Really enjoyed it. And like I say, let, let's just hope that some of these ideas are put to bed, but we can get something sensible going very soon because at least it will give us something more to get our teeth into, won't it, mate? Absolutely. And if you are listening, the lawmakers, the penalty shootout idea is available for sale. So do get in contact <laughs> with any of us three. I, I, I also think, Dan, you know, we could make this an it's a knockout style penalty <laughs> shootout as well as maybe, you know, you could have like water jets and, oh. you know, big fake pirate costumes or stuff like that, you know, it's all there. Do you know what? The wackier the better. I'm open for everything. So, you know, <laughs> this German idea can go in many different directions. So don't go anywhere, people. It is going to happen. Right. That's everything wrapped up. It goes without saying, as always, please stay safe. Do whatever your government tells you to do in terms of lockdown. It won't be forever. All you have to do is make the sacrifice and football will hopefully be back around the corner. So with that said, it just needs me to say that my name's Dan Tracy. This is The Real Football Cast. And until next time, goodbye. Podcast Network.